Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb and I will be your solo host today. That is right. Phil is out. He's being a responsible human. He is getting work done, being a good teacher, and he is being a good brother as his sister, Michaela, is getting married this weekend. He's preparing for all that stuff coming up. We want to say an early congratulations to Michaela and Jeff and wish them the best of luck in their journey ahead. So uh, now that it's just me, we'll get right into it. First off, a little small talk, some news and notes around the college football landscape. First off, we'll say LSU cornerback Derek Stingley, one of the, I think, five starters returning for LSU this year after they lost 17 starters into the draft and other reasons. They lost their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator. You know, they lost pretty much everything imaginable off their championship season. And then one of their few returning starters had to miss the game due to a non-COVID illness. Thankfully, it was not COVID, but fortunately for LSU, you know, one of their few experienced players was not able to play in this game. And as we'll talk about soon, that was uh, may have come up big in their game this past weekend. On some more good news, Purdue wide receiver Rondale Moore has opted back into the season, as well as fellow Big Ten wide receiver, this time from Minnesota, Rashad Bateman has also opted back into the season. So now we're up to at least five big-time impact players from the Big Ten opting back into the season. We'll get into a little bit later whether or not we've seen anything from Micah Parsons on whether his decision to be opting back into the season or not. But, you know, it might stink for Penn State having to play some of these teams and playing their best players, but it's good for Big Ten football and college football in general to have these guys back. And, you know, first-round talents like Rashad Bateman and Ronda Mill, more maybe, more probably not quite as much as being a little more injury-prone, but Rashad Bateman had a huge year last year winning the Fred Belitnikoff Award for top receiver in the country. Morgan news, Pac-12 football is back. That is right. Finally, the, f- the fifth and final Power Five conference has decided to play football this season. You know, it seems like they've been following the lead of the Big Ten all this whole fall so far, you know, deciding to cancel, push it back to spring, and now they are back. Took them a little, about a week after Big Ten decided to play, but they will be playing two weeks after the Big Ten has decided to return, as they will start on November 6th, and they will have just a seven-game season. They'll be doing it just like the Big Ten, so everyone will play on championship weekend, not just the top team from the North and South divisions, which, again, is a good decision, in my opinion, have everyone play that weekend to get them that seventh game to help out. And who knows, maybe we'll see if this is a thing going forward to get um, teams an extra game in instead of having a, uh, you know, it's a good non-conference games are a lot of them are cupcakes for some of these bigger teams and they're easy wins, but they're not resume building. So, you know, having to play a team of equal caliber, number two versus number two, number three versus number three, if you get that win, that could help build your resume and help you get into a better bowl um, in the postseason. So I think this is something that we'll see if it sticks around or not going into next year. It'll be interesting to see if we do that or not for now. Uh, the big 10 and pac 12 are doing that. Unlike the big, 10. The Pac-12 hasn't been able to have practices quite as much or quite as well as the Big Ten has. So that's why these uh, extra weekend they needed to get starting. They need that extra week of practice so they can get up and get ready 
and you know feel confident about playing a football game which when you're the last of the party does kind of stink because as i said they're down to seven games now seven game season and that's if uh you know no COVID issues occur during that time where it causes them to cancel or push back a game. So now Pac-12 will be at seven, you know, Big Ten obviously will be at nine and the rest of the conferences will be at 10 or 11, maybe 12 with the cha- with a championship game. Um, also, the Mountain West Conference is back. You know, everyone's announcing their back final this week. Their season will start on October 24th, just like the Big Ten, and they will do an eight-game season. And as I said, every conference is back. That's right, the MAC is back. They were the final team to announce it. They're waiting till November 4th, uh, same week as the Pac-12. But they will be just doing a six-game schedule. That allows a, you know, a bye week probably in there for them, which is helpful. The MAC is, you know, um, they have pretty similar footprint to the Big Ten. A lot, of conf- a lot of their schools are in Ohio, Michigan. So they're up here in the Northeast as well. So that means now all 10 FBS conferences We'll be playing this fall. Good to see. We'll see if any, especially maybe like a Mac that only is getting six games in, if they'll do anything in the spring to make up for a little bit of lost time. But as of now, 10 conferences in the FBS, all 10 will be playing football this fall. And uh, as a fan of college football, it's good to see. Hopefully players get to stay safe as we've been uh, going through the season so far. Four weeks in, you know, we've seen a lot of games canceled or postponed due to COVID. So with more teams back, most of them obviously playing conference only or very limited non-conference schedules. There shouldn't be too much interaction between teams, but still possible that COVID could obviously could spread. Um, hopefully that's not the case. And these conferences get to play their six to eight games with no real, no real recourse. All right. Speaking of week four, let's get into the week four review. And boy, do we have some stunners this weekend. First off, Kansas State, second year in a row, stunning number three, Oklahoma, this time 38-35. And, you know, this was quite the surprise. Oklahoma raced out to a lead, 21-point lead, into the third quarter. And then Kansas State finally made the comeback. It feels like a lot of these upsets, uh, the the underdog hangs around for a little bit or gets out to, you know, a quick 10-14 to point lead that the favorite team is not able to come back from. But here, the underdog is the one that made the comeback. Part of that was on the back of Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma's new freshman quarterback. He was 30 of 41, 387 yards and four touchdowns, but unfortunately three interceptions, including the game ceiling interception. Uh, Phil watched this game more closely as it it is his quarantine. So we'll get his thoughts maybe next week on how he thought Spencer Rattler played. But um, one of the balls I think was tipped for an interception. So that might not have been completely on his fault. But um, as I watched the closing, the last couple of drives of this game, uh, when Rattler was going down to try to give Oklahoma a chance to either tie or potentially go ahead and win the game, he definitely looked like a freshman. He was he he had some open receivers, but he looked a little rattled there in the pocket. He was uh, not throwing the ball very accurately. He's a running quarterback, and he's had some chances to go run the football. Obviously, time was of the essence late in the fourth quarter when you're down by three points, but I think he would have been better off running the ball a few times. And he decided to keep throwing the ball, many of them for incompletions. We got to give some love though to Kansas State. Their quarterback Skylar Thompson, eighteen to twenty-five, three hundred thirty-four yards, one touchdown passing, but three rushing touchdowns. He's uh, definitely a big guy in the in the end zone in the red zone area there, more like a Cam Newton type where he can just plow right in and get those goal line rushing touchdowns. Another stunning upset: Mississippi State defeats the defending champs, 
Number six, LSU. Um, Mike Leach in his first game at Mississippi State alongside transfer KJ Costello from Stanford. They broke some records. He threw 36 of 60, 623 yards, five touchdowns and two interceptions. Those passing yards are a record for SEC for an SEC game. So it seems like the air raid is definitely going to work here in the SEC. As we said, though, um, LSU's top defender, Devin Stingley was missing this game and they had a lot of players who had to, who left for the NFL draft. So not many returning defensive players, but still we hear all the time about LSU, the SAC and their defenses. And here they come into a guy who transferred from the, from the PAC 12, a coach who came in from the PAC 12 and uh, yeah, they broke records right off the bat. First game, just like that LSU, their new quarterback, Miles Brennan, who has the tall task of replacing number one overall pick, Joe Burrow. He had an okay game, 27 of 46, 345 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, two of those touchdowns were to Terrence Marshall, who had eight catches and 122 yards. He's really the only wide receiver left now that um, Justin Jefferson is in the NFL and Jamar Chase has decided to opt out of the season. Mississippi State had three receivers over 100 yards, which uh, isn't too surprising when you have a quarterback throw for over 600 yards. That was led by Osiris Mitchell, seven catches, 183 yards, and two touchdowns. So, yeah, Costello made a couple mistakes with the two interceptions, but you can definitely overcome that when you're throwing for 600 yards and five touchdowns. And in this case, Mississippi State was able to do that. Staying in the SEC, number eight, Auburn. Pulling away late from number 23, Kentucky, to win this one, 29-13. Bo Nix, the young Auburn quarterback here in his second season, uh, is looking much better, 16-27, 233 yards, and three passing touchdowns. He ran the ball just five times for 34 yards. He definitely seemed to run the ball a lot more last year, and all three of those passing touchdowns were in the second half, so good for him. Yeah, making those second half adjustments, him and the offense, and being able to get those passing touchdowns to help Auburn pull away late in this game. His top target was Seth Williams, who had six catches for 112 yards and two touchdowns. On one of those, he just absolutely mossed the defensive back in the end zone, just grabbed the ball. The cornerback wasn't really looking for the ball, but he just went over top of him, took the ball, and was able to get the touchdown. Uh, Kentucky actually outgained Auburn in this game, but Auburn won the fourth quarter 14-0. Kentucky scored late in the third quarter, tried to go for two as the score was 15-13 at that time, tried to tie the game. They were unable to do that, and then Auburn got those two more touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Moving over to the ACC, another top 25 battle. Number 21 hit, winning a nice back-and-forth game over number 24, Louisville. Uh, Louisville. Had a rough time on offense. Pitt's defense uh, is legit. We haven't talked about Pitt too much this year. They um they have they've been impressive in their wins, but hadn't really played anyone. And then to come and play number a top twenty five team, you know, even if their Louisville may be ranked because Big Ten and Pac twelve teams weren't ranked, it's still a good team. It's still a top 30, 35 team. So still a good team. And Pitt's defense showed up. Malik Cunningham had to throw three interceptions in this game. He was well under 50% passing. Unfortunately, he had to leave the game on a stretcher after he threw that third and final interception. So we hope for the best for him. Haven't heard any news updates yet, but um, it looked pretty scary. So I'm not sure he'll be playing this weekend. Hopefully he'll be able to play at some point still this season. 
Uh, Louisville's running back, JV and Hack Hawkins, 13 carries, 78 yards and a touchdown. That looks pretty good, right? Except 75 of those yards and the touchdown came on one run. So if you look at it that way, his other 12 carries went for a combined three yards. Ugh. Yeah, well below. That's like 0.25 yards per carry. You know, Pitt's defensive line was in the backfield all day long. They had um, plenty of sacks for Malik Cunningham. As we just saw, JV on Hopkins, other than that one run, had nowhere to go. The offensive line was not great for Louisville, but you got to credit Pitt's defensive line. They had they were doing great this game. Speaking of Pitt, their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, who we've uh, you know been up and down on. He's had some good games. He had some bad games. He did good enough in this game, 23-38, 220 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. And uh, just a weird note here. Before the game, Pitt had been 0 for 3 on their field goal attempts through the first two games. Today, they won 3 for 3, which proved crucial as they won 23-20. So one missed field goal would lead to a tie game, two missed field goals, and Pitt ends up losing this game. So good on the kicker for getting his thing, getting things turned around. Uh, their coach said before the game it was more of a mechanical issue. So they got the mechanics fixed, the technical part of it fixed, and it's it, Worked clearly as three for three, and these were not chip shots. Uh, two of them, at least, were over forty yards. So not like they were making twenty-five yard field goals that you know any college kicker should make, but some much longer ones. Um, moving on, this time number nineteen, Louisiana wins on a last-second field goal over Georgia Southern. Or this, sorry, this is uh, yeah, Georgia Southern twenty to eighteen. Georgia Southern had the go-ahead touchdown. And two-point conversion with 54 seconds to go. Um, yeah, they went for two after they scored. It was uh, 17-16. They decided to go for two, and they made it to go 18-17. Good call, I think, for Georgia Southern, and it worked. Unfortunately, Louisiana was able to drive down the field a little bit, just get into kicking range, field goal range, and Nate Snyder made a 53-yarder. So a nice deep kick there right as time expired. And for the second straight week, Louisiana just barely beats their opponent. Both teams, Georgia Southern and Georgia State. Last week, they needed overtime. This week, a late field goal. And with the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams entering the AP poll, as well as Louisiana just barely holding on these last couple weeks, they are now out of the top 25 after returning for the first time in over 70 years. So good to have them back in the top 25, but unfortunately, they had to bow out. They need to perform a little better if they want to get back into the top 25. All right, next game up here we got a team we talked about last week, Liberty holding on to beat a Florida International 36-34. This was a pretty fun game. Liberty quarterback Malik Willis, the one transfer from Auburn, had a really good game, 24-30 for 285 yards and two passing touchdowns. He had 85 rushing yards on the ground, so about 370 total yards of offense there, and that's why he has that 76.6 QBR. Uh, great, great game for him. His favorite target in this game was DJ Stubbs, who had eight catches for 119 yards and a touchdown. Although the score was close, the total yardage was not. Liberty had 527 yards, FIU 304. FIU did go for two after scoring a touchdown with about four and a half minutes to go. They failed. That would have tied the game at 36. And then after that, Liberty was able to hold onto the ball and run out the clock. And FIU really never got another chance to win this game. All right, let's move over back to the Big 12. Iowa State defeating TCU 37-34. TCU scored a touchdown. 
as time expired, that proved to be meaningless as they had no chance to tie or win the game. So the score looks a little closer than the result on the field actually was. Iowa State running back Brees Hall had himself a day, 18 carries, 155 yards, and three touchdowns on the day. Good for him because uh, Brock Purdy, again, not looking his best. He had by far the worst play of the season so far. I don't know if anything will come close to this. Uh, he had two blitzers come from the left side of the defense, his right side, and they came in unblocked. I think it was a linebacker and a cornerback, maybe a safety. And he was able to spin move and get by the one guy. Once the second guy came and started twisting him down, he threw the ball backwards right into the arms of the first guy. Obviously, there were no Iowa State players behind the line of scrimmage like that, about five to 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So he walked in for the easy touchdown. Since it was a backwards pass, it was technically rolled a fumble. But uh, Brock Purdy, man, he is an experienced quarterback. He cannot be making plays like that. That allowed TCU to stay in the game far longer than they should have. And luckily for them, Iowa State was still able to pull off this victory. All right, moving back into our top 25 matchups this week. We had one more. Number 14, Cincinnati defeats Army in this game. Um, Cincinnati held Army to 182 yards rushing after Army had averaged nearly 400 yards per game before this game. So good job on Cincinnati's defense. You know the Army wants to run the ball, just run and run and run and, you know, waste time. Uh, and give you as few opportunities as you can to win this game. But uh, with the 28-14 to 14 scoreline, Cincinnati didn't, didn't go off. Cincinnati has some expo- explosive offensive potential. but So Army was able to eliminate it like that, but only scoring two touchdowns of their own. They were not really in the scheme for very long. They did have a 7-3 lead after the first quarter, but Cincinnati kept going and going and going and ended up with the win. That The uh, 182 yards rushing, which for most teams is actually pretty good. For Army, it is not, as we said. That forced them to throw the ball 21 times in this game. Their quarterback had just 95 yards and an interception, no passing touchdown. So, yeah, if you can force the opponent to throw the ball 21 times and not even get 100 yards passing in a game, you know, a lot of times when you see completions there, you know, 5, 10, 20, you know, you get those 40-yard plays on passing attempts. So averaging under 5 yards per completion, per attempt here, that's, you know, pretty rough. Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter did just enough because he was just 18 to 33, barely over 50%, 258 yards at two touchdowns and a pick. That was good for just a 38.8 QBR. So you really got to credit Cincinnati's defense for this win. They're going to need their offense and Desmond Ritter to step up if they want to continue and, you know, pursue a championship at the AAC conference. The last one here, moving back to the Big 12, number eight, Texas, surviving Texas Tech in overtime, 63-56. If you remember last week, Texas Tech barely held on to beat Houston Baptist. They come back this week. They have a 15-point lead late in the fourth quarter over a top-10 team, and they were unable to hold on as Texas scored 15 points in the last two minutes and 39 seconds to force overtime. Then they scored a touchdown in overtime before forcing an interception on fourth down on Texas Tech's overtime opportunity to seal their victory. Texas moved down in the polls as a result of beating a team in overtime that barely beat Houston Baptist and FCS team before the week before. So I think that's justified and will make the Big 12's attempt to make the college football playoff, you know, that much more difficult. It looked for a while when Texas was down 15 points that 
you know, both their top two teams would lose this weekend and completely mess up their their uh, college football playoff hopes. Texas was able to pull it out, fortunately for them. But, you know, they'll be playing each other in a few weeks. Oklahoma has won that a lot recently, won that game, the Red River rivalry. So if they each have one loss, Oklahoma's is to Kansas State. You know, you still got the Big 12 championship game, obviously, so maybe they'll be playing again in that one. But if they split those, they're one and one. Oklahoma obviously has two losses. Texas has one, but lost to the team that they played already, that they beat in the championship game. Mm, that'll be tough, I think, for the Big 12 to make the playoffs at this at this time. But we're only four weeks in. Most Big 12 teams have only played two or three games. So we still got, you know, a couple months to go. And things can change rapidly. We saw two big upsets this week. Maybe that'll be the norm this season with COVID and everything. Maybe not. Maybe the cream will still rise to the top. But at this point, the pack or the Big 12 is at a disadvantage. Um, some stats to get into. Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger, 27 to 40, 262 yards, five touchdowns and a pick. He had five touchdowns in there in Texas's first game, an easy win. So he's up to 10 touchdowns on the season already. Alan Bowman, the quarterback for Texas Tech, also had five touchdowns, but he had three picks in this game, 331 yards. Obviously, the interception that ended the game, that didn't really need to be caught, but still counts against him. Either way, good game for Alan Bowman, but not enough for them to squeak, squeeze out the victory over Texas, their rivals. All right, now that we're done talking about games, let's get into Penn State news. That's right, not too much news to talk about this week. Uh, The AP poll finally decided to rank the Big Ten teams and the Pac-12 teams this week. I'm not sure why the AP poll couldn't add the Big Ten teams in last week, but that doesn't really matter at this point as the AP poll has nothing to do with the college football playoff rankings like it did when it was a part of the BCS. And Penn State is ranked number 10 in both the AP poll and the coaches poll. Still seems kind of weird that they're ranked lower than their preseason rankings, even though neither team has, either though they haven't lost yet. You know, Penn State was ranked, I think, seventh in both the AP and coaches poll. But now they're ranked number 10. Again, these don't really matter. Once Penn State starts winning football games, they'll start to move up. Obviously, I'm recording here on October 1st. So that will be this month officially, but still 23 days away to their first game. Um, good thing it is football month, but yeah, still still a couple weeks to go before they're playing. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe they'll move down over the next couple of weeks as teams start to build a better resume than Penn State, Ohio State, and such. Maybe they'll move up with more upsets that we saw this past weekend. Um, either way, when what matters the most is that Penn State goes out and performs on the field, and they obviously have that week two test against the Ohio State University, which will, you know, be the maybe the deciding factor for their season, whether they can make the Big Ten championship game in the college football playoff or not. In more sad news, Coach Franklin has confirmed that Micah Parsons will not return to Penn State. He will not opt back into the season, which makes sense. You know, Rashad Bateman, uh, Rondale Moore, you know, Ohio State players, you know, I they made their decision and it, they felt that was the best decision for them and good for them. Micah Parsons is a potential top five pick in next year's draft, so he, You know, I don't think that matters whether he plays this season or not. I think he'll be drafted where he gets drafted no matter what. So he doesn't want to risk getting uh, getting the illness, getting COVID. He doesn't want to risk getting injured, you know, tearing an ACL or something like that. You know, that's what happened to Jalen Smith for Notre Dame a few years back in the bowl game. He, 
tore up his knee even worse than just tearing your ACL. And that allowed him to fail from potential top five or top 10 pick into the second or third round. So now he's playing still well for the Cowboys, but he's not, he could have easily been a, you know, a top 10 pick and would have been paid a lot more money over his rookie contract. But unfortunately, you know, bad injuries do happen like that sometimes. So I think Micah Parsons doesn't want something like that happening to him, which fair enough for that. And we wish him the best of luck in his training over this season. And we hope that he gets drafted as high as possible in the draft next year. Alrighty then. Moving on to our coring teams. We have talked about Phil's already with Oklahoma. Um, you know, they just... I asked Phil if he had any additional thoughts on the game, and he typed in here that they need to keep their foot on the gas. They have enough firepower to do so. So yeah, they... um. They did not do well. <clears throat> Excuse me for a second. They were not able to hold on to that win. You know, when you're up 21 points, that's great. You know, Kansas State is an inferior team to Oklahoma, but keep scoring points. You know, there's still plenty of clock left, as we saw, for Kansas State to come back and pull off that victory. And they were able to do that. So I agree with Phil. Keep the... Keep pushing the pedal, score as many points as you can until, you know, it really is out of reach. And he also said that Rattler needs to needs those two picks in the game, late game to shake off. So, you know, maybe he's kind of agreeing with me there that Rattler looked a little flustered as a as a freshman quarterback, really starting the second game of his college career. So hopefully he was he'll be able to mentally prepare um uh, recover from this and prepare for their game next week and be and be better for that you know we hope for that and we hope for phil and his quarantine so they can do better next week next week oklahoma plays iowa state you know they're coming off that victory against tcu we'll see how they do this time um oklahoma's all-time record against Iowa State, 76-6-2. Oklahoma did win last year, but only by one point, 42-41. I think Oklahoma had 76, about 76 career wins against Kansas State, but that was in a few more games. So Oklahoma has clearly dominated this this matchup against Ohio or Iowa State over this over these 84 games. But, you know, you can't lean on history as we saw last week against Kansas State. They need to go out. And I think they will go out and prove that they're the better team in this one. They did fall to number 18 in the AP poll and number 16 in the coaches poll. Some some um, voters even dropped them completely out of their top 25, which is pretty, pretty far, to, far to fall from number three all the way out of the poll. But obviously we've seen something like that before when Michigan lost to unranked Appalachian State, one of the best upsets of all time. All right, moving on to North Carolina. Um, their game a few weeks ago was canceled against Charlotte. So to make up for that game, they added Western Carolina on December 11th, pretty late in the season. But they still did not have a game this week, so it's been two weeks now without a game for North Carolina. So they should be well-rested for their matchup this time against Boston College. North Carolina leads the all-time series 3-2. to two. So it's just the sixth meeting between these two teams. The last one came back in 2013 when North Carolina easily won 34 to 10, hoping, hoping for something similar this week against Boston College. And then North Carolina uh, swapped ranks. They were at number 11 in the AP poll. Now they're down to number 12. They were number 12 in the coaches poll. Now they're up to number 11. Some of that 
has to deal with teams like Oklahoma and LSU falling down below them after their upset losses. Some of that has to do with teams like Ohio State and Penn State moving up in the rankings as a result of, you know, announcing their schedules and things like that. Okay, moving on to our picks. Who you got? Last week, Phil beat me again, 7-2. and two. I went just 5-4, and four, so that gives Phil 25 wins on the season. I am two games behind at 23. We'll see if I can do any better this week and catch up to Phil, or Phil extends his lead. The first game here, we got South Carolina at number three, Florida. Number three, Florida is a 17.5 point favorite in this game. I would, this is when I would say, Phil, who you got? And Phil did kindly put in his picks for this section, and Phil has Florida. I, too, have Florida. We didn't talk about them earlier. They had a great first game offensively. Kyle Trask, their quarterback, had six touchdown passes. Four of them were to tight end Kyle Pitts. You know, nice Kyle-to-Kyle connection there. South Carolina, unfortunately, lost their first game. Um, Tennessee punted the ball back to them, which gave South Carolina a chance to go down and try to win the game. But the punt was fumbled. The punt returner was trying to clear out as it was a weird punt by the Tennessee kicker and one of his gunners to try to help block for him. It hit his leg and Tennessee jumped on the ball and was able to end the game, unfortunately for them. Kyle Pitts, the tight end for Florida. He's uh, the top, I guess you would say, competition for Pat Fryermuth for first tight end to come off the board in next year's NFL draft. And he got off to that great start with the four receiving touchdowns. Hopefully Pat can do something similar to that in his first game coming up in a couple weeks. Again, both Phil and I have chosen Florida. The next game, staying in the SEC, number 13, Texas A&M at number two, Alabama. Alabama, just like Florida, is a 17 and a half point favorite. Just goes to show you how well people think of Alabama. They're both 13 and a half point favorites at home. Alabama is playing a number 13 ranked team, and while Florida is playing an unranked South Carolina team that lost last weekend. Alabama's wide receiver Jalen Waddell had himself a day in their opening win. He catches 134 yards and two touchdowns. On the other side, uh, Kellen Mond, the Texas A&M quarterback, struggled 17 of 28, 189 yards and a touchdown. They played Vanderbilt, one of the worst teams in the SEC, and that had like an ugly 7 to 5 scoreline at halftime. Two SEC games had a 7 to 5 scoreline at halftime, which uh Pretty ugly first week for some teams. For other teams like Mississippi State and Florida, Alabama, they were rolling right off the bat. Phil is taking Alabama. I, too, am taking Alabama in this one. So far, we're picking the same in both games. Next up, number 25, Memphis, a slight two-and-a-half-point road favorite at SMU. It has been four weeks since Memphis played a game due to COVID postponements and cancellations. They did go one game under their belt, but... Maybe because of that, Phil and I are both taking SMU for the upset victory in this game. SMU is a good team from the AAC. Not saying that Memphis is not. Obviously, they are as they're ranked number 25. But being that it's been almost a month since they were able to play a game, I think that's going to put them at a disadvantage. We've seen that time in and time out the season with teams playing their first game of the season that you know sometimes they're just not up to it. And yes, while Memphis has played the season, it's been long enough that they may have some rust on them. So if SMU can get out to an early lead, they may be able to, be able to hold off Memphis in this one. All right. For the Commander-in-Chief trophy, or the first game of this, Navy, a seven-point favorite on the road at Air Force. Air Force, they're, uh, they're not playing this year. 
their conference isn't at least, but they are allowed to play the two games this year, Army and Navy, so we can keep the Commander-in-Chief trophy going. Phil is taking Navy in this one. I am going to take Air Force in this one. Um, I know this goes a little contradictory to what I said earlier. Air Force is home, though. You know, even if they're not, even if they haven't played yet, they're going to be built up for this game, ready for this game. Although we've seen Navy finally got the, in the win column, you know, they've still played three really bad halves of football. And if you play a bad half of football against Air Force, you know, I'm not sure they will be able to recover this time. So Navy needs to play a complete game in order to beat Air Force. And I don't know if they will. So I will take Air Force in this one while Phil is taking Navy. All right, moving back to the SEC, Arkansas. Going to number 16, Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a 17-point favorite in this one. Um, Arkansas quarterback transfer from Florida. Felipe Franks threw two picks in the opening loss to Georgia. That game was a little close, was pretty close for a while there. Arkansas State's not expected to be too competitive in the SEC this year, but they um, had a had a third quarter lead against Georgia, 10 to 5, before Georgia was able to come back and score a ton of points late. We'll get to Georgia next. Both of us are picking Mississippi State. You know, maybe K.J. Costello doesn't throw for 600 yards again. Uh, that's pretty unlikely since it's an SEC record, but I think they will ride this. You know, they beat the defending champs, and they move from unranked all the way up to number 16. And, yeah, as we said, I don't think Arkansas is a great team, although it took Georgia a while for put, to put them away. I think Mike Leach and Mississippi State will be ready. And the great uh, Mike Leach had a good quote after the game. He said, well, we played LSU because New England, Green Bay, and Kansas City were already scheduled. So good for him, making the most out of it, having some jokes and, you know, saying he's ready for any opponent, even NFL opponents, some of them being the one of them being the defending Super Bowl champs. Okay, staying in the SEC, some good SEC games this weekend. Number seven, Auburn at number four, Georgia. Top 10 battle. This might be our first one of the season. Georgia is a six and a half point favorite in this game. As I just mentioned, Georgia trailed 10 to five against Arkansas in the third quarter before they scored the final 32 points of this game. Uh, Their quarterback, JT Daniels. Yes, you'll remember him. He transferred from USC. He was not able to play last weekend. I don't know if, if he's even their starting quarterback or not, though. They um they tried Dewan Mathis. It didn't really work out for him. So they went to their essentially their fourth string quarterback as their transfer Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. You know, they had two transfers coming in, has already opted out of the season. So their fourth string quarterback, who was a walk-on, came in and finally settled down the offense and allowed them to score those 32 points in a row. So uh Mathis definitely has some upside, some running ability that can make the Georgia offense much better than it was last year when it was pretty preachered with Jake Fromm at the helm. He lost, I think, something like his top five or six receiving targets from the year before that. So it's kind of understandable why Georgia got off to a slow start offensively, but they were never really able to get it going. So they tried something here with Mathis to see if he could get it going. It did not work. Obviously, with uh, Jamie Newman opting out, that maybe have made it a little bit tougher. So we'll see if we'll see JT Daniels in this game, Mathis in this game, or the walk-on. Uh, I don't think uh, Kirby Smart said he won't announce that until right before the game time. Phil is picking Auburn in this game. I am taking Georgia. So our second one, second game here where we are going opposites. See if one of who, which one of us will get the point up on the other. Okay, now moving on to 
our favorite team, Western Kentucky. They are a touchdown favorite at Middle Tennessee. Both teams are looking for their first one of the season. Western Kentucky 0-2, Middle Tennessee 0-3. And for that reason, both Phil and I are going to take Western Kentucky in this game. You know, they didn't look great against Louisville. They didn't look great against Liberty, but they had some fight in them against Liberty. They had a week off, and now I think they're going to be ready for Middle Tennessee in their first conference opponent of the season. Now moving on to my quarantine, number 12, North Carolina, a two-touchdown favorite at Boston College. Boston College is off to a hot start. They're 2-0 in the season, wins over Duke and Texas State, but they did need a comeback and a last-second field goal to beat Texas State, who's obviously not a great team. And so for that reason, and just North Carolina being the better team, Phil and I are both choosing North Carolina in this game. And finally, moving on to our final pick, of this segment, Phil's quarantine, number 18, Oklahoma, also a touchdown favorite at Iowa State. Iowa State is one and one. They got the win, obviously, last week against TCU. And if you remember, they had that first uh, opening week loss to Louisiana that propelled Louisiana to finally get ranked for the first time in 77 years. This time, so they were able to shake that off and get the win against TCU, but both Phil and I are taking Oklahoma to send Iowa State back under 500 and for Oklahoma to recover from their surprising loss to Kansas State and hopefully get back on track. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Hopefully you enjoyed just me talking here for close to 40 minutes and um Hopefully Phil will be back next week so we can have some more conversation going back and forth. Again, congratulations to Jeff and Michaela, and we wish you the best. Anyways, go Penn State.